0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, get them open to Mark chapter 5. And let me join in the rest of the course of verses, uh, voices saying Happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. and that. I hope you pay attention to that video because that really uh, describes our heart to you this morning. We know that uh, holidays can be a magnifier of emotions, and so whatever emotion you have today, whether it's excitement, joy, uh, honor, um, or whether it's grief or sadness, uh, I'm really thankful you're here, and I'm really thankful that we get the chance to do what we're about to do because Jesus has an answer for all of it, um, and that's where our hope lies this morning, and that's where we're most excited. And so if you have your Bibles, like I said, get them open to Mark chapter 5. If you do not have a Bible, there's a black one. And a seat back in front of you, you get to page 892. You're going to be right there with us, and I'm going to ask you uh, to join me in a word of prayer as we uh, start this message. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful uh, for the opportunity we have uh, already, Lord, to just uh, have an extended time of worship, uh, which we sing to you, which we observe uh, communion, which we uh, just respond uh, to that by, by singing another song, Lord, just to, just to lift your praise, just to declare your worthiness, and uh, we're thankful for how you've already met us in that, and now as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that uh, wherever we are, God, however we came into this room today, uh, whatever uh, baggage we brought with us, uh, we pray that you would just speak the loudest now, uh, that you push me, the distractions of life, out of the way, uh, that you'd make your word come to life this morning, and that you'd get the honor and glory from all of it. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So we've been a family with twins for about five and a half years now. And there were things about being a parent of twins that I had to learn that have eventually just become like second nature or muscle memory for me. And one thing that's permanently altered about me is my decision-making process. As all parents know, you get asked for things all the time. And with four daughters in the house, there was, I think it was Wednesday this week, I just declared, I set a timer in the kitchen. I said, for 20 minutes, no one's allowed to ask mom or dad for anything right? Just give us 20 minutes because it was just incessant, right? And, and uh, give Jim a credit. She waited 20 minutes and then came in and asked for like eight things immediately, right? But she waited 20 minutes, right? And I've learned with Remy and Ray, whenever one of the twins ask for something, make a request, I go through a two-part checklist in my head. And the first part is this, do I want to say yes to this? Right? And assuming it, it passes part one, I get to part two, which is, do I want to say yes to this twice? Because no matter what it is, even if you think it couldn't possibly be fun, or desirable, or you know, whatever you say yes to, whatever you do for one of them, within seconds the other will notice and say, I want that too, but I wanna do that too. It's like, it's like they're twin experiencing something that they don't is a complete non-starter for them. Uh, Raya was sick earlier this week, and I was like, man, you're, you're sick, do you wanna just go uh, lay down in bed for a little bit and get some rest? And she's like, yeah, and Remy's like, I wanna do that. I was like, you never want to take a nap, you know? And then I was like, Ray, what hurts? She's like, my legs hurt. And then I was like, do you want us to put some stuff on it? And she's like, yeah. And Remy goes, my legs hurt. And I was like, no, they don't. You're just doing cartwheels in the living room, you know? And it just didn't matter. Whatever we were doing, she had to have too. And we don't actually grow out of this as adults, do we? Have you heard the term FOMO. Right, the fear of missing out. Right? The people are literally walking around with a fear that they're going to miss something that other people are enjoying. And then you add to that that universally one of the worst feelings we've had since we've been a kid is the feeling of being left out of something, isn't it? That there's something good or connective happening to a group of people, but not us. And we just feel like, oh man, that's terrible. I don't want to be left out. And we can actually do this in our relationship with God. For instance, we've been studying the book of Mark as a church, and in this section, we're going to end Mark chapter 5 today, but this section of of Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5 has been incredible. These last two chapters, Jesus has been doing ministry along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and there's been miracle after miracle after miracle. Where Jesus just shows up and he's bringing these immense victories and changing people's lives in a moment and saving them from danger and healing them from disease and on and on and on. And when we read these stories in the Bible, there's a temptation that can sneak in. When we look at these stories and then turn and look at our own life, we have chronic pain that, that nothing heals and just persists of a discouraging situation that only seems to get worse with the passage of time. There's an awful season of life you're going through you just want over already and it just seems to drag out. There's a loved one you pray for, there's no improvement, there's a health crisis that comes up and nothing seems to be getting better. I'm going to a funeral tomorrow afternoon, and I, when I moved to Terre Haute in 2010, I, I moved here to be uh, to be at this church, and so the vast majority of my community and connection to Terre Haute came through FBN. And yet, there's no there's no one in Terre Haute outside of this place that has impacted my life more positively than the guy whose funeral I'm going to tomorrow. And I actually got to go visit him in the hospital before his surgery. I knew it was a major surgery, but I thought it was pretty routine. And I, I was able to pray uh, with him. And we called on the power of Jesus in the name of Jesus that the surgery would be successful, that his health would be restored. I left that hospital uh, fully confident and looking forward to our relationship continuing. And he never left that hospital And throughout the whole deal, like it carried out for weeks, throughout the whole deal, I've been preaching through Mark 4 and Mark 5, where I'm just talking about miracle after miracle after miracle, where Jesus shows up and fixes things in a second. And it gets hard, doesn't it, to not ask a question that you don't want to say out loud? Well, where's my miracle? How come I don't see God showing up and just fixing things in a second in my life, right? You ever been there? You ever wondered that? Are you there now? I'm glad that you're here because asking that question is not a problem. It's not. God welcomes our questions. But today, I want us to see, I want to help us see that staying in that question is not healthy because at the root of it is a misunderstanding of both the miracles that we read about in the scriptures and a misunderstanding of how God works in our lives. So to help us frame this, we're going to close out Mark chapter 5 today. I'm going to invite Chris Mathis up to read uh, today's passage. He's going to be reading Mark uh, chapter 5, verses 35 through 43. And if you're physically capable, would you please stand with him to honor the reading of God's word this morning.
1: Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, "'Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore?' When Jesus overheard heard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, "'Don't be afraid. Only believe.' He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing out loudly. He went in and said to them, "'Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep.' They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, little girl, I say you get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they all were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat.
0: Thank you, Chris. You guys can have a seat. Please keep your Bibles open there to Mark 5. And uh, he started reading in verse 35, but we're, we're just closing out a story that begins in verse 21 of Mark uh, chapter 5. And we've actually spent the last two sermons, two Sundays previous to this, on this story. And, and it's a fascinating story with lots of different layers to it. And uh, I would encourage you, if you haven't, to go back and listen uh, to either of those. We have uh, our YouTube channel, website, podcast. There's all kinds of different ways that you can get to those. Uh, but I'm going to recap it just very briefly. Because, again, we've already spent two weeks on it. But if you weren't here, that way you, aren't, you won't be lost. Where Mark chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus arrives by boat. He's been traveling to sea of Galilee again. And when he gets off the body, a large crowd comes to to him and and then we're introduced to a man named Jairus. Jairus was a religious leader a synagogue leader in that area and Jairus comes running up to Jesus and he falls at his feet and begins begging him to come to his house. And the reason why we're told is that because Jairus has a little girl and she's dying. And so Jesus sees the enormity of the situation. He agrees to go with Jairus and uh, they, he gets up and they start the journey towards Jairus's house but they have they immediately run into a problem which is that large crowd that was already there. Right? Jairus is not the only one who wants something from Jesus. Okay? A, and so the Bible tells us there's, there's a whole crowd of people pressing in on them, that Jesus and Jairus are having a hard time getting any kind of forward momentum. They're having to fight their way through the crowd. And all of a sudden, Jesus just stops. And he says, somebody touched me, which is a weird thing to say when there's a whole crowd of people touching, like, touching you. And he says, "No, somebody, I healed someone because power has left me. And he makes this woman come identify herself and tell her story. She's had a disease for 12 years that, uh, that has left her a, 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 an outcast, right? Uh, left her unclean under the Jewish law, and, and no amount of money that she's been able to spend, uh, no amount of doctors, no religious leaders, nobody's been able to help her, and just by touching the edge of Jesus' clothes, she was healed. And Jesus tells her, daughter, your faith has saved you, right? And that's right where Chris started reading this morning. Because we, we end that conversation, and, and while that conversation is happening, messengers from Jairus' house arrive. And the story of Jesus raising this girl from the dead continues the theme that Mark has been building over the last two chapters, where it's just Jesus continuing to showcase his power over darkness. Mark 4 and 5 are one of my favorite sections in the New Testament because, because Jesus keeps showing off. Right, he. It it was rare to see this because you got to remember Jesus was so incredibly humble. He never sought the spotlight. Right, he he was everything that Adam read about in Colossians one this morning. He is uh, the visible God, the the visible image, the invisible God. He was the God of the universe, and he came and he took on our form and he came as a baby. And he spent the first thirty years of his life here in, in relative obscurity. And then when he started his earthly ministry, he never traveled outside a region one-twelfth the size of the state of Michigan. He never seeks political office. He never forms an army. He, in fact, most of his days, he stayed out in desolate places, even avoided the towns, the cities. He just wasn't seeking the spotlight. It's almost as if you could forget just who he was and just how powerful he was. It's almost as you could forget just what he's capable of. And so whenever, whenever he shows off a little, it's some of my favorite passages, and he's been on quite a run. Right? Mark 4 and 5, if you read the timestamps, this is just a small handful of days in the life of Jesus. And in them, first, he shows his power over danger, right? Disciples are in the boat with Jesus. He's sleeping. And they, and they all of a sudden, this violent storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee. And these experienced, lifelong fishermen are, are sure they're going to die. They've never seen a storm like this. And Jesus wakes up from the nap. And the Bible says that with just his word, he just looks at the storm and says, be still. And the storm has calmed to me and they're all saved. He then shows his power over demons, right? He, he, they finish that journey and, and, and the second half, uh, uh, or the first part of Mark chapter five is he, he gets out of the boat and he's immediately confronted in the Decapolis by a man who's been possessed by a legion of demons. And this guy lives out in the tombs away from other people because he's constantly cutting himself. He's constantly screaming out gibberish. Anybody who passes by, he attacks them, right? And by just his command again, Jesus just saying so. The entire lesion is cast out. The man is restored to his right mind. He then goes from there and shows his power over disease. This woman who's been sick for 12 years, no doctor, no religious leader, no amount of money had helped. She is outcast, isolated, sick, and hopeless. And just by touching the edge of Jesus' clothes, she's healed immediately. And so we've seen the danger has nothing on him. We've seen the demons have nothing on him. We've seen the disease has nothing on him. And now he's facing the biggest enemy we face, which is death. And these messengers arrive to Jairus and they just say this Your little girl is dead. It's over. It's finished. And then there's a second layer to the message. Did you catch it? Don't bother Jesus anymore. You see what they're saying? It's beyond him now. It's too late. Right? You don't need to bother him anymore because there's nothing anybody could do. And that's where the sting of death comes in. The sting of death is how final it feels. There's no coming back from it. There's no answer to it. There's no solution to fix it. At least there wasn't before Jesus. Because Jesus looks at Jairus and he says something remarkable. He says, "Don't, don't be afraid, Jairus, just believe. He chooses three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And In the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 17, it requires two to three witnesses for something to be verified. So he takes these three. And he goes on to Jairus' house, and we find a very unusual scene for our culture in time. But it was normal in that culture. Look at verse 38. It says, they came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Now, the ancient Jews had had an elaborate custom and ritual of mourning that actually included, this is crazy, it actually included the hiring of mourners. Almost like paid actors, right? Where, where you'd hire these people and they would come and they would just wail loudly and cry out, right? And this was both to try to signify uh, the grief of the family to the nearby town, but also as a means of announcing that the death has occurred. Kind of like a really bizarre obituary. And again, right, one of the, one of the important parts of this is this indicates the amount of time that this girl has been dead, She died. They had to react to it. Then they send a messenger to find Jairus, and they've had time to go hire mourners, and the mourners are now at the house putting on their whole show. And the fact that she's been dead that long is further verified by the reaction of these mourners, because Jesus shows up and tells them to quiet down. He's like, why why are you doing all this? Why are you making all this commotion? Just be quiet, because she's only sleeping. And what happens? The mourners turn to mockers. They laugh at him. They scoff at this idea, because of course the girl is dead. dead. She has been for some time now. Now Jesus is not saying that the girl isn't actually physically dead. He's calling a shot. He's declaring what he is going to do to death. He did this elsewhere in John 11. He's speaking to Martha after Martha's brother is dead. And he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. You see, in defeating the power of sin on his cross and, and raising from the grave, Jesus has defeated the power of death forever. Which is why his followers can make these ridiculous sounding claims, like Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, when he just states outright that death has been swallowed up in victory. The, the greatest enemy that humans ever faced has been swallowed up in victory. And then he goes on to mock it. Where, death, is your victory? Where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what you need to understand is this power over death wasn't given to Jesus for a one-time use. He always had it. It's why he could defeat death and raise from, the, from his own grave. It's why he can raise us from the grave and give us eternal life. It's why he calls himself. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Because with the power of Jesus, death really does become like sleep. And I love that. as you read through the rest of the New Testament, the church actually, the early church actually adopted this language. They stopped talking about people dying. They started talking about people falling asleep. In the writings, they always refer to death for the believer just as sleep. This is why when I go to that funeral tomorrow, it won't be hopeless. Because that man had trusted fully in Jesus for eternal life, and so his body is merely sleeping, and his spirit is with the Lord. And I will see him again one day. And that reunion will be forever, praise the Lord. And there were a few times in the Gospels that Jesus would foreshadow his own resurrection by displaying that he had this power and capability, and Mark 5 was one of them. He empties the house of all the mockers and all the mourners, and he sends everyone away. And he just takes Peter, James, and John, and Jairus and Jairus' wife into their little girl's room. And this is when you can see an awesome combination that we only find in Jesus. Endless power that is matched with endless compassion. Because I want you to look at the tenderness that he displays here. He bends down by this girl. He takes her by the hand, and then he speaks to her in her language. The word, that word is translated little girl, but it really could also be translated little lamb. You know what my theory is? I think that was a pet name that her parents had called her. And so as he's calling her back, he's using a name that she'd recognize. And yet in that display of incredible tenderness and incredible compassion is unmatched Power. Because immediately she starts breathing again. Immediately her heart starts beating again. She gets up and just starts walking around the room. And everybody there is stunned except for Jesus. And he tells them two things. Number one, don't tell anybody about this. That would be pretty hard, wouldn't it? But It's not his time yet, right? He's trying to control the hysteria. And number two, he says, now you got to give her something to eat. He's verifying her bodily resurrection. She needs sustenance. She needs strength. I assume dying takes a lot out of someone, right? So she needs to be built back up. And, and there, there he is again, showcasing his power over darkness. Danger had nothing on him. Demons have nothing on him. Disease has nothing on him. And now even death itself has no answer for him. But if we're not careful, we can miss really important details in all these stories. And that is that even in victory, God still allows the struggle. Have you been noticing that or or did you miss it through all the displays of power and healing and miracles and victory? Because in each situation, God allowed, ordained, permitted, right? He brought a a season of struggle that preceded the victory. And it's because it's in the struggle where God does some of his best work. Think about it. The disciples had to face the scariest storm of their lives. They had to come to the full belief that they were going to die. And then and only then did Jesus calm the storm. The man possessed by the demons, he spent years in isolation. There were several people's efforts to help him that failed. He lost his mind completely, had lost all hope. And then and only then does Jesus show up and restore him completely. This woman had faced this disease for 12 years. 12 years of suffering, 12 years as an outcast in her society, 12 years she couldn't touch another human being, 12 years she couldn't worship her God in the temple, 12 years in which she spent every dollar she had, and then and only then does Jesus show up and heal her in an instant. And this little girl is sick for who knows how long, and every effort that was put to help her all failed, and she literally dies And her parents feel the fullness of that shock and that grief and that despair. And then and only then does Jesus say, little lamb, I say to you, get up. You guys, he could have changed it at any time in that process, right? All these stories were instantaneous, but they were all preceded by prolonged seasons of suffering. God is able to stop a storm before it ever starts. God was able to deliver the man who was possessed long before he did. He could have healed that woman years before he did. And there are multiple times Jesus healed someone without ever even going to their house. But you see, when we face something, we want results immediately, don't we? We despise the season of waiting. We despise the season of suffering. We despise the season of struggle. We don't want it. We're like, get rid of it, God. But you know the Bible invites us to look at that differently? James 1, listen to this invitation. James 1, consider it a great joy. Not something to be despised, not something to get rid of, not something to want gone. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. You see, whenever we want a trouble-free life, And we want all our problems erased in a second without any season of struggle. Most often, God just ignores that, right? Most often, he just resists those prayers. Because to do so, he'd be skipping the most important part. His desires for us, his plans for us are to prepare us for an eternity with him. They are to shape us into his image and his likeness and his character. And there are lessons that are only learned in the fiery furnace, There are lessons that can only be learned during the storm. The disciples will know forever that Jesus has power over the entire natural world. They wouldn't have known that had he prevented the storm from coming. The possessed man and the capitalist, all of the capitalists, knows that, that, that Jesus Christ has power over darkness, that they had no solution for whatsoever. The woman knows that Jesus can do what nobody else could ever do, and this girl will live as a testament to Christ's power over death the rest of her life. Letting the storm play out led to all that. So we need to ask the Lord to help us stop despairing the struggle. Help us stop discounting the things that we learn from them because God doesn't discount them. God sees the forming that occurs in us through the struggle as most valuable in us becoming who he made us to be. But you see, despite all that being true, we don't always get that right, do we? In fact, often we get it wrong. Because there's a bit player in this story that I resonate with way too much. In fact, I'd argue there's, there's someone in this story that we've all been. Do you know who, I, who it is? Look at verse 35. Verse 35 says While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why bother him? This is a heart posture that's the opposite of faith. I mean, sure, it's understandable, right? You'd have thought the situation was unrepairable too. But it doesn't change the lack of faith that it is. Their statement is this. The situation is beyond repair. It's simply too late. There's nothing anyone, even Jesus, can do. So why bother Jesus anymore? Just leave him and go on home. Now, I've already talked last week about how remarkable Jesus' statement was to Jairus at this moment. The statement of, Do, don't be afraid, only believe. Right, but there, there are two things in the Greek that I want to point out. When, when, in verse 36, when it says that Jesus overheard what was said, right? The Greek use there, word used there means not just that Jesus heard it, but that he ignored it. Right, that he just immediately blocked it. I'm not going to pay any mind or attention to that. So he just ignores this message that she's dead. And then when Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, there's a present imperative used there that means just keep on believing. Just keep on believing. The faith that you had, Jairus, when you first came to me, the belief that you had that I could heal your daughter when she was sick, this is not the time to let go of that. Because I'm still him. I'm still that guy. So keep on believing. And there are two ways that you and I can, can leave a posture of faith and fall into a posture of, why would I ever bother God with this? And there are opposite ways, right? There are two ditches on either side of the road. And the first way is this, that we can just simply overestimate our problems. This is what these messengers did. Right? In their mind, the situation wasn't fixable. It was beyond repair. There was too little, too late, nothing that could be done. That's also where the disciples were in the boat. Do you remember in Mark chapter 4? When they wake Jesus up, they don't say, Jesus, save us. They don't say, Jesus, uh, dis- spare us from drowning, stop this storm. They just simply accuse him. Don't you care that we're all dying? Why? Because there's no fixing the storm in their eyes. This was it. And in both situations, with just a word, Jesus showcases just how much greater he is than the supposed unsolvable problem. And when we're in a season of suffering long enough, when we've despaired over a loved one long enough, when we've gone too long without the miracle, we can downshift into the why bother mode. Why bother to keep praying about this? It's over. The person, the situation, they're just just beyond hope. So I won't hope, and I won't pray anymore, and I won't share. My advice to you this morning is to fight with everything you have not to get there. Because there is nothing that you are facing or ever will face that is beyond the power and scope of Jesus Christ. There's nothing in your way that is greater than him. There is no situation he cannot fix, no relationship he cannot mend, no soul that he cannot save, and no thing that he cannot heal. Now even as I say that, we must know that doesn't mean that we're guaranteed the miracle. We aren't promised that he'll do this. We aren't promised that he'll just show up one day and save the day just like we want him to. But if he doesn't, It just means that he had good reasons for it. But never, ever, ever forget he absolutely can. He can. And so don't stop praying. Don't stop asking. Don't stop hoping. Don't stop bothering God with this. I invite you to bother. The second ditch on the other side is is when we overestimate our capabilities. The other time that we say, why bother God, is when we we think that we've got it covered, right? Right? Where there's different areas of life where like, you know what, I got this. I can cover this. And so we don't invite God into it. We don't live in a constant reliance on the Lord. We don't live with a constant awareness of him. And I'm not here to offend anybody this morning, but I do want to ask, what exactly is it that you think you have covered? What exactly is it that you think you don't need God for? In John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. And then here, what our Savior thinks of us, because you can do nothing without me. You see, one of the problems with asking, where's my miracle, is that it ignores how many miracles we need every single day. Like, let me ask you this. Did you choose to be born? Are you making your heart keep beating right now? In fact, if anything, I think the only thing I'm contributing to my heart beating is, what we'll, is, is doing the things that will make it stop one day. Did you get yourself through the night alive to see another day? Did you do that? Did you make the sun today? Did you make the earth produce food? Again, what exactly do you have covered that you think you don't need God for? Then beyond that, when it comes to matters of highest importance, spiritual matters, the soul matters, can you save yourself? Can you make yourself right with God? The Bible is clear on that. No, you can't. You need the miraculous grace of Jesus Christ. Sanctification or, or growing like Christ, becoming more like Him. Can you change yourself from the inside? Can you change your own heart? Can you change your own desires? Can you change your own outlook? No, you can't. It's Mother's Day, so I'll just address parents and grandparents for a second. Parents and grandparents, can you all on your own, by your own power, by your own capabilities, can you raise your children to A, keep them out of jail their entire lives, B, become productive members of society, C, to be an awesome spouse or parent one day, and D, to know the Lord, love the Lord, and serve him with all their days. Anyone here feel like you've got that covered? No sweat? I haven't even gotten to struggles. I haven't gotten to trials, I haven't gotten to health issues, to overcoming your own sin, to generational curses, societal issues, and more. The more you look at it, the more the idea that I could ever take the posture, I don't need to bother Jesus with this, is laughable. And yes, I've heard people say, well, I just figure God has bigger things to deal with than this. Yeah, He does. He does. He has much bigger things to deal with than what you're facing. But do you understand how demeaning and belittling of his power and capability it is to act like I need to spare him of something? As if he doesn't have an answer for my problem in my life and the much bigger things? See, thank God that Jairus bothered the teacher. I shudder to think what would happen if he didn't. And so my encouragement to you this morning, my challenge to you today is, is simple in two folds. And the first is this, bother Jesus. Bother him. Take your whole self, take your whole life to him. Give him your strengths and give him your weaknesses. Celebrate your joys, pour out your grief and fold to him. Guess what? He knows you in full. He knows all the chaos you are. He knows all the mess you are. and He knows everything that you're trying to hide from other people. He's not surprised or intimidated by any And his invitation to you is this. Remain and abide in me. Bring me all of it. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so bring your sin. Bring your hopes, bring all of your dreams, bring your children, bring your problems, bring your suffering and your soul and your career, bring your calendar and your priorities and your fears and your weaknesses. Keep nothing back from him. Bother him again and again and again and again and again because to Jesus it's not a bother. He has made us for that exact type of relationship. He's made us for that deep reliance on him. It's what he wants from us to bother him. And then secondly, just keep believing. It's what he told Jairus, just keep believing. I mean, think of it, just the fact that you're here this morning shows a measure of faith. Even if this is your very first time, you've never been in church before that, you you were curious enough to be here today and hear this out and consider him. That's a great start, keep going. You've had faith in him just enough to seek him out, now ask him to forgive you ask him to save your soul ask him today to fix your marriage ask him to provide that need that you're worried about ask him to protect and guard your wayward children ask him to solve that crisis ask him to heal you whatever it is there's a belief that you've displayed in the past and those who've had that faith know that he's shown himself faithful just keep believing so regardless of, of what ditch you find in, yourself in whether you're overestimating your problem and you're tempted to think that's it's beyond Jesus and so there's no need to bother him with it anymore or you're overestimating your own capability and you're acting and living as if you don't need him desperately for your next breath. Whichever it is, hear me out. Stop underestimating Jesus. I want you to take that person, I want you to take that struggle, I want you to take that situation, I want you to take whatever it is that's heavy on your heart and mind today and surrender to him completely. I want you to take what, that, that part of your life that you're not inviting him into Whatever areas of your life that you're not living in reliance on him with and repent of them today and even more so if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life, I want you to do that today. I want you to find that place of belief you had before and then hear the invitation from Jesus to just keep believing. I promise you it's worth the bother. We're going to close our service today without, without a song, without a long response time, with just a prayer of committal. I'm going to lead you through a prayer of committal. We commit these things to Jesus and surrender them to him this morning. So let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that Jairus bothered the teacher, The Jairus bothered to bring Jesus to his house, The Jairus bothered to listen to him more than the ones who were saying, it's over, it's too late, Why bother? And God, I pray that around this room, Lord, you would, you would identify ways and areas that we, that we have taken that posture with you. Why even bother the Lord with this? God, whether it's a problem that we think is bigger and beyond you, even though it couldn't be, or whether it's an area of life that, that we just, we're just living separate from you, we've compartmentalized our walk with you and just haven't invited you into that, or whether it's our salvation, Lord, our great need to know you, I pray that around the room, we'll bother you with it right now. That struggles, trials, weaknesses, pain, illness would be laid down at your feet. That people and situations and relationships and marriages and children would be laid down at your feet. God, would careers and dreams and futures and goals and priorities and encounters and schedules be laid down at your feet? Would we bother you with it? Because you're capable and caring. Father, would you have your way? Would would, would this be a moment of commitment? Would this be a moment that we say, take this, Lord. Take my life, take my soul, take whatever it is that's heavy on our hearts this morning. And when we leave this place, God, with the light, easy yoke, and burden that you offer us. And we ask this all in Jesus' powerful and awesome name. Amen. Well, I cannot thank you guys enough for being here. If there's a situation that you left at the feet of Jesus this morning, don't don't forget that. Don't let this be the last time you think of it. If you need some follow-up conversation or counsel, that's what we're here for. And if you're a guest, we are so thankful that you're here today. If you would, uh, there's a guest card in front of you. You could fill that out and drop it off at the welcome desk.